This is the Game Dev Field Guide bonus episode number 13. Today's special guest, Mugamumu. This episode is sponsored by the Game Dev Field Guide patrons. It's a third bonus episode that comes out every month, and everyone gets it for free, and it's all thanks to the generosity of our patrons. If you'd like to become a patron and support the show, as well as vote on episode topics, I'll leave a link in the show notes. Lastly, I did want to announce that Ludum Dare 50 is this weekend, April 1st through the 4th. And I will be participating in the competition and streaming the entire thing on my Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash underscore. It should be a really fun time. If you don't know what that is, basically I'm going to make an entire video game in 48 hours. And I'm going to do it all live uh, so you can see every single step. So yeah, if you want to check that out, I'll be live pretty much the whole weekend during the day hours. April 1st through the 4th, uh, United States Eastern Time. And again, that's at twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. With that out of the way, let's move on over to the first segment of the show. The first segment of a bonus episode is Always Buff Debuff. It's a game we play where users in our community Discord submit uh, smaller topics that I don't really do any research on. I just go quick fire and say what's off the top of my head, and I'll usually say they're either buffed or debuffed. Buff meaning that I think whatever it is is trending up or improving or good, and debuffed is something that's moving kind of in the wrong direction or I don't think is good. So yeah, with the first suggestion, I actually wanted to mention this one specifically. This comes from the user Rudy. Um, And Rudy has several questions all related to free game demos, uh, specifically on Steam, and this was with reference to Steam Next Fest. Rudy has questions about how does the developer collect feedback? Uh, If you want to make a demo, when's the right time to do it? How much effort should you put into your demo? And Rudy asked a lot of good questions here, uh, and there's enough content there for a future episode. So there will be a future episode on demos, but it'll be a full-on episode and not just a buff debuff. So, Rudy, I didn't want you to feel like your topics were getting skipped over. I'm just going to do them as a whole episode in the future. With that, let's move on to the first topic. The first one says, Efficacy of mixed genre games like Inscription. It also says, Inscription is a top-down 2D FPS card game. I've never played Inscription, and that's quite the description of Inscription. Um, It's a top-down 2D FPS. How do you do a... They must just mean like a twin-stick shooter and not an FPS because I don't see how you can do a first-person top-down 2D. That's two different perspectives. All right, one second. I got to Google some gameplay of Inscription. (laughs) Is this going to blow my mind or... Okay, I've just come back from watching some gameplay. It did blow my mind. (laughs) It really is how you described it. But to make it more clear, it, it has card game elements it's like you're playing a card game from a first person perspective but there was a a segment i was watching the gameplay where the player got up from the table and started moving around the room 
and it had like a creepy vibe. It, it was really cool, really interesting idea. So yeah, but to ask, or to answer rather, your actual question, the efficacy of mixed genre games, I think this is something that is definitely buffed. It's something, uh, whenever I'm trying to think of a game idea for a game jam, for instance, my mind always goes to what game genres will complement the theme and can I combine any to make something interesting. Now, I do think there's something to be said for genres that complement each other. For instance, while my game Bounce Shot is a FPS and puzzle game, um, I think those two genres really complement each other. They can kind of overlap nicely. I would not have picked, uh, as a kind of a counterpoint though, I would not have picked a 2D card game mixed with an FPS or like adventure game perspective. I would not have picked that and yet this inscription game has done it and I think just based on the, I don't know, 10 minutes of gameplay I watched seems to have done it pretty interestingly. Uh, but I think that is something you could have definitely failed at. Um, so with maybe the genres that don't complement each other so well, uh, you're more at risk of failure, of, you know, just not pulling it off. But it's that classic, like, with no risk comes no reward. So, yeah, overall, I think mixed genre games are buffed, with the caveat that some complement each other better than others. And if you do go for those ones that don't at first seem like they complement each other, you could make something really interesting or you could make something that is a total failure. The only way you're going to know is by prototyping it. The next topic we have is player-based economies. And I think this is with specifically reference to like MMO player-based economies. They actually give an example. It says Albion Online, EVE Online, uh, the concept that every item in the game that the player may buy has to be gathered or crafted by another player. To me, this might be a controversial one, but to me, player-based economies like this are actually debuffed. And it's specifically from my viewpoint as a dev. As someone who plays games, I think it seems like a really cool idea to have an in-game economy like this. But my dev mind and specifically my indie dev kind of lens is telling me if you want your game to function properly not only do you have to be really good at game dev you're going to have to be really good at economics to actually make this work and for all the positive examples you mentioned how many times have we seen player-based economies in games absolutely fall apart Amazon's MMO New World, for instance, their player-based co economy totally fell apart as soon as someone figured out a duplication glitch that totally messed up the supply and demand of everything, and because the entire game was kind of based around the economy, the entire endgame, at least, with like taxes on your land that you own and stuff like that, it kind of all just fell apart. And so as a dev... I think it's something that is really, really hard to pull off because, like I said, not only do you have to be a great game dev, um, you're already making an MMO, so you got to be a great networking dev as well. And on top of all that, all the content you have to make for an MMO, uh, everything else, you have to be a great economist. Now, of course, that just comes from me as an indie dev. I usually work alone or in really small teams. At a big AAA studio, fine, you might have, you might literally hire an actual economist to help you. And I think that could work. But 
Again, these are just things that are my opinion coming from my framework and reference. And for me as an indie dev, a player-based economy is uh, debuffed just for the sheer difficulty of doing it right. The next topic is returning to games that you've made and enhancing them with new techniques that I assume you have learned. I think this is very much buffed. I think it's super buffed for someone who is like a hobbyist dev or someone who's just learning. Going back to a framework of a game that you already know and kind of polishing up parts or improving parts or redoing parts with new techniques that you've learned kind of has like twofold benefits. One, it gives you a play space, I guess, or an experimental space where you can try something new. You can try and refine your new techniques and you don't have to build everything from scratch. You can kind of just plug in the new puzzle piece and you can see it work in the whole collective of a game. And two, you're just improving an older game. So you kind of get two benefits out of it. If I'm thinking about it from a commercial game dev viewpoint, I think it's still pretty buffed, but you should go about it another way. I, I think I've talked about this before with games or live service games. The risk of going back and redoing things in games that are already out there and people are playing is that you're going to change something that people already like. And so I don't know if I would do it to like a game that like go back and actually this was in the last buff debuff wasn't it didn't we talk about dlc and changing the content with dlc i think i said that was debuffed last time and i'm going to stand by that in this sense where i don't think it's wise to go back and change games that are already out there and people are playing but if you're going to make a sequel of a game or a spin-off or something like that that is a perfect time to add your new techniques if I'm ever thinking of a sequel of my game, I'm definitely going to add new techniques to the game. And they don't always have to be front-facing techniques. That's something I think that's kind of slept on. Like, it can be a behind-the-scenes thing so that the player doesn't even know that you use new techniques. But with your sequel, you've really refined your process. A lot of indie devs, um, when they have success with one game... They build more games off it, and they might not even be a sequel from an IP perspective, but it is a sequel if you look under the hood and see the behind-the-scenes processes. It's a lot of the same guts. And so really, uh, once you find something that works, you're always just going back to that kind of base or framework and trying new techniques and plugging those puzzle pieces into the guts that you use for a game. It's a bit like a Frankenstein's monster uh, where when you figure out how to do a better arm, you cut off the old arm and sew the new one back on. <laughs> sorry, sorry to get a little morbid with that example, but I don't know. I think that makes it pretty clear. So yeah, returning to games with new techniques or returning to the behind-the-scenes frameworks with new techniques, I think is definitely buffed. And the last one we have today is individual game devs teaming up for a larger project. I'm going to say that this is slightly buffed. And I'll explain why I put the emphasis on slightly. Teaming up with people is really great. Um, the aspect of like combining creativity and just making friends through a craft that everyone loves is awesome. But... It's not all rainbows and sunshine, and I think 
there's some things that uh, people who are thinking about this should be aware of. The first thing is that in a lot of senses, it's harder to work in a team and have a project with a strong direction. By that, I mean it's not harder from the sense where, like, this person picks up a task and this person picks up a task and now your whole team can do two different things at once and you move faster. That's obviously true. You can have one person do the art and one person do the programming and get twice the amount of work done. The problem is making it all connect together and move in the right direction. For instance, let's say you have two artists because you want the art done really fast. The two artists have to really communicate to make sure that they're making art that's going to feel like it works good together. If one person is really good at pixel art and the other person really likes to do vector art and they both do it in their own styles, when you go to put the game all together, it's going to look really weird with two totally different styles. And maybe that's an extreme example, but even pixel artists who like to work at different resolutions can be very noticeable. So one of the problems with working in teams is you have to really rely on good communication. And you're going to find out that communication is a skill and it's something you have to practice and work at. And speaking of communication, I think it's really key that if you're teaming up for a commercial project, one that you intend to make money on, I think it's really key that you all discuss and communicate and settle the monetary side of things before you even start. There's too many stories of groups of people who get together to make a game, um, and it all goes bad over arguments of who is working more than others, and they deserve more money or more share or whatever it is, and it can really like kind of poison the experience. But with good communication, if everyone's upfront about their expectations through both the effort that they're going to put in and the money or share that they get by the end of it, I think everyone can remain happy throughout the project, but it does take a lot of upfront communication. So those are two things that I think kind of bring it down from being super buffed, but if it wasn't for those two things, it's super fun to work with other people, and in like low-stakes situations like um, game jams, for instance, it's not that big a deal. The communication thing still needs to happen, but it's not like you're going to be drawing up contracts or anything like that. So yeah, for a less serious situation, I think it's more buffed than it would be for a commercial situation. Anyways, with that, we're going to end Buff Debuff. If you have any ideas for things you want to hear, um, you can just go on over to the community Discord. There's an invite link in the show notes. Go over to the Buff Debuff channel and type out uh, whatever topics you want to hear. With that out of the way, let's move on over to the second segment of the show. The second segment is always a key thought from a special guest, and today's guest is actually very special to our community. Today's guest is Mugamumu, and you might have heard that name before. You'll know them because Mugamumu made the outro music that I've been using since, I don't know, it must be the mid-20s in the episode. This is someone who is in the Hall of Fame on our Discord. They won it in 2021 for, I guess, donating the uh, outro music that I mentioned. And yeah, since we've been doing a lot of music stuff lately, I thought Mugamumu might be a good guest. And let me tell you, Mugamumu did not disappoint. 
in his speech today, he's going to just do a general overview on sound for video games, but it includes lots of live examples, everything from making dinosaur noises to making entire soundtracks for your game. This guest segment is a long one, but trust me, it is absolutely worth it. Mugamumu went above and beyond and put in a ton of effort into this. This is definitely one worth listening to. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mugamumu. Hello, everybody. My name is Tom Bixler, a.k.a. Mugamumu. Today, Zaccavelli kindly invited me to be this month's guest on the Game Dev Field Guide. Today's topic is sound. We'll talk about the tools, workspaces, workflows, and how to get an end product that you will actually be happy with. I'm going to divide it up into three segments. First, we will talk about sound effects and sound design. Second, we will talk about game music. Then, we'll talk about the road to being a successful sound designer. But first, I will tell you a little bit about myself. I have been a hobbyist game developer for around 8 years, and I have been creating music and sound effects for about 9 or 10 years. I'm a fairly fast learner, and I absolutely love to create things. To start off, we will be using the free program Audacity, and I would like you to listen to the following clip. Hi, are you looking to buy or sell? The voice acting is okay, but what about the quality of the recording? To the untrained ear, it might not sound too bad, but we can do better. Let's play the clip again, but this time, let's clean it up. Hi, are you looking to buy or sell? The point I'm trying to make here is that anything that you record can be a good sound if you put a bit of work into it. Let's examine the raw audio again. Then, I'll tell you how I fixed it. Hi, are you looking to buy or sell? We can hear a lot of fuzziness in the background, and it sounds a bit muddy. Let's jump into Audacity. In Audacity's effect menu, there is an effect called noise removal. Let's give it a listen with just this one effect applied. Hi, are you looking to buy or sell? Sounds better, but still sounds muddy. Muddiness in a vocal clip is caused by the microphone picking up too much bass. So let's go back into the effects, and I'll just drop the bass a couple levels. Now let's give it a listen again. Hi, are you looking to buy or sell? Great! Now we have a crisp and clean vocal clip. Keep in mind that not every instance of a muddy sound is from bass, but in this case it was, and the more you make these sound effects, the more you will be able to easily identify and deal with the problems. So we know how to make audio clean, but what about those extravagant and vibrant sounds we hear in games that can only be referred to as ear candy? Let's make a sound effect from scratch. I feel like dinosaurs are a good theme, so let's make the sound of a raptor about to pounce. Let's open Audacity, and my sister was kind enough to supply us with her voice. Doesn't sound like a dinosaur just yet. So, we just add a bit more of those nifty effects and call it a day, right? 
No. Most, if not all sound effects, have not only audio effects, but layer after layer of recordings, all playing simultaneously to give us those juicy sounds we all love. Let's record some more sounds. Now let's stack these three sounds together. Move them around a little bit and see what we can come up with. I would say this sounds pretty cool. So it sounds okay, but if you can't already tell, it's missing depth. Back in Audacity, we will duplicate some of our tracks and lower their pitch like this. That pitch difference will give us some good depth to work with. Let's add those in and see what we can come up with. That sounds like a raptor to me, although I've never heard one per se. One thing to keep in mind is to not overdo the sound effect. People are going to be hearing this sound effect a lot, so it has to fit and not have any very distinct attributes. In games when a sound is played, more likely than not, they play at a random pitch to make the effect sound different each time. It works for most sound effects, but when the sound has a distinct attribute, the player subconsciously starts to recognize the pattern, and the sounds start to become monotonous. I'll give you an example in the dino clip. That blip at the end is very striking, and would be something that we would have to be careful of if we were planning on using the sound over and over again. Let's move on to the second section of our discourse. Game music. Music in general is a hard subject. As you progress, you will develop your own approach and style. So take the things I say with a grain of salt and try to do the things for yourself. Because one of the biggest mistakes that you can make is getting into a habit because someone else told you that it was the right or the wrong way to do it. And this applies for all of game dev and a lot of other things, not only just sound and music. So let's start with some of the basics. Let's talk about a DAW program. DAW is short for Digital Audio Workstation. You could say that Audacity is technically a DAW, but due to its simplicity, it's not commonly referred to as one. Most big-name DAWs are paid programs like Ableton Live and Studio One, but there are free alternatives like Cakewalk by BandLab and the FL Studio demo. Each DAW relatively does the same thing, but since DAWs are set up completely different from one another, it's just trial and error until you find the one that you like. When I started, I probably went through four or five of them over the years until I settled on Ableton Live. Most DAWs come equipped with basic sounds and effects, but as you use them and you get more acquainted with your DAW, you'll start to notice that you can only go so far with the workstation. After all, it is just a workstation. And if you compare that to a real-life workstation, like a table, there isn't much to do when there isn't anything on the table. It's just a table. Enter plugins. Plugins are third-party programs, free or paid, that your DAW can load and will present them to you inside the workstation, just like the default library. These plugins can be anything from a sound effect to the sound of an orchestra. Just be sure to read up on what format your DAW can load, but 
most of them can load almost any type of format. And not only can DAWs record with a microphone, they can also record input from other external sources, such as a MIDI keyboard and a pad. Before we make a little track, I want to quickly talk about the how and the why of game music, and I will give a quick personal experience. When I was younger, and when I first started getting into making games, I was still in school, and at the time my friend had this great game idea. So later that night we hopped on the Skype when that was still a thing, and in a couple hours we had a character walking around and he was able to shoot a weapon. My friend wanted to try a build, so I grabbed music that I was working on the other night and I slapped it in there and sent it to him. His first reaction to opening the game was had it had nothing to do with the game or anything. He said, Tom, why on earth did you add this overbearing 8-bit music? It, it, it's barely a game yet, and it's not even the right genre. I, at the time, I didn't understand his reaction, and I was a little bummed out because, you know, I was working on this music, and I was working on it pretty hard. But I understand why, especially now. Appropriate placement, genre, and feeling are the key to making whatever game or project you are working on flow. Let's look over some examples. Here I wanted to make the player feel like they are being hunted in a spaceship by an alien. Here I wanted the player to feel like they're in a starship fighting in a space battle. And here is an example from my current project, where out of lack of better words, I wanted the menu music to be up in the player's face to exclaim, this is the game. The best way that I find to get inspiration for a track is to just play some games that have the feeling that you're going for. But keep in mind that you are not trying to copy anything, and you're not trying to make your tracks sound like the ones that inspired you. Instead, you're looking for the genre and the feeling. To keep with the theme, let's pretend our game is about dinosaurs. How do you make dinosaur music? Well, let's think about some dinosaur games like Ark or The Isle. What do they have in common? Other than the fact that they're dinosaur games, their soundtracks are orchestral with loud drums accompanied by deep strings and a vibrant lead like a horn or vocals. Their tempo is slow to portray the slow movement of the huge animals, and in hindsight, they're almost mystical. Let's get to work. Since Ableton Live is my DAW of choice, that is what I will be using. I came up with this cool drum line to start with.
In music, there's something known as a time signature. It is measured by how many beats are contained in the measure, similar to a ratio. This is very important because different time signatures can portray different feelings. And that is what we're after. For instance, the following drum line is a 6-8. This often can feel like a chugging and is counted in threes or saying the word triplet to the beat. One, two, three, one, two, three, triple it, triple it. The most common time signature in music is a 4-4 or 4-8, and is your classic one and two and three and four and. It's totally up to you to decide what time signature you use, and there are so many different cool and wacky time signatures for you to pick from. Okay, back to it. Let's add some delay to those drums. This is almost like an echoing effect. That sounds good. Let's move on to our melody. I normally like to start with the main melody and then fill in the bass later. So let's get to work on that. I'm going to use some horns in the major scale. Just as I was saying earlier, we are looking to promote an emotion and different scales can produce different emotions. For example, if you wanted to make something sad, you might use the minor scale. There are many other examples that we could do, but in this case, I want to make the music sound extravagant, so I will mostly be using the major scale. Here is a short chorded melody added to our track. something called reverb, which makes the instrument resonate. If you use reverb, be careful not to add too much. If you do, it can really muddy up your music. Okay, so it sounds great, but we need a bass line. Let's use strings for our bass line. Now let's listen to that all together. Alright, let's add some booming drums and some swells like cymbals to lead the listener in the direction that the music is heading. Alright, at last we'll do a small amount of mixing. If you can imagine a band is playing your music, Try to imagine where they are on stage and make the sounds come from that direction. 
you can do this by adjusting which ear the music is coming from. And it makes your music feel so much more lively and coherent when everything isn't fighting for the center stage. I'll put the strings on the left, the brass on the right, and the drums relatively in the center. See if you can hear a difference. So we've made a track. Now let's talk about the practical application. When you are playing a game and the music never stops playing, chances are that the track that you are listening to is a loop. A loop takes the ending of a track and seamlessly slows it together at the beginning and just replays infinitely or until the game decides it's time for you to listen to different music. Most DAWs have a preset to automatically loop the track, but just because we use that preset doesn't mean it will automatically sound good. When designing a loop, keep the intro in mind so that when you feel it's the right time to loop to the beginning, we can do so seamlessly. Let's take a look at an example from the spaceship battle track I showed earlier. The beginning starts like this. Then, towards the end, it sounds very different. So how do we make it a loop? Let's listen to the end, then we will break it down. Just as we build up to the climax in a track, we can also resolve the music back to its original state. Try to start using the sounds and melodies and patterns you were using in your intro before you try to end your loop. You can always use a little bit of flair to cover up the transition to the intro. Let's listen to it again, but this time without the flair. can really see a difference between the two, and it just goes to show how much you can change the melody without being abrupt. Before we get into the third and final part of the discourse, staying on the topic of practical application, I would like to talk about music and sound managers in-game. We all know what's about to happen when we are minding our own business in a game, and all of a sudden we hear battle music. We know that there's an enemy close by. But did you ever think of how much more is possible with dynamic music like this? Depending on the scale of your game, you could potentially have many categories of music that trigger under certain circumstances. For instance, you could have a category for when your character is hiding stealthfully. Or you could have music for when your character is traveling a long distance. Or you could even have a category for when you're building something all changing dynamically. Obviously, this approach won't work for all games, but the main point is to give your player a variety of music that correlates to what's on screen. 
sound effects can be just as dynamic as music, but in a slightly different way. One of my favorite examples of this is when sound effects are layered together in the game engine and play the loudest at different distances. Let's take an explosion for example. You could use a very crisp explosion sound like this for when it's close to the player, and a very rumbly explosion like this for when the explosion is far away from the player. I did this in my game. Take a listen. Let's move on to our final part, becoming successful at designing sound. I know a lot of people struggle with it because it's a very niche topic and for how valuable it actually is, many people overlook it. Everybody has to start somewhere with it in the world of indie game dev, especially if you want to become that Swiss army knife that we hear so much about. It is just like any other skill. It blooms as long as you help it grow. I, for one, used to be absolutely horrible at making sound effects and music. So, for the occasion, I have decided to dig deep into my archives and find some of my most embarrassing work for your enjoyment. This was my first track. And somehow this passed for a building collapsing. At the time, I used to be very happy with these, and I guess I can say that it was rightfully so, because I was learning. I remember showing people and getting the feedback that I really didn't want to hear, so I tried again and again and again, and I gradually got better, but that doesn't mean everything I made was better. I even struggled today, when I was making raptor noises, and I was told that I sounded like a dying cat and then I lost my raptor sound making privileges. I can't tell you how many times I've hit the delete button on tracks that I worked on for hours and got nowhere. It's going to take some practice, but you can definitely get there, and if you keep pursuing game dev, you will. Remember, the internet is a developer's best friend. If you don't know something, don't be afraid to look it up. How do I make a robot voice in Audacity? I already looked that up. It's done with layering the echo effect. Calling reinforcements. Sometimes you don't even have to look things up. Pay attention to the sound effects in games and movies, and try to think of something that you could use to replicate the sound. Here's the sound of me breaking my own bones. I'm just kidding. It's a piece of celery. Here's a sci-fi anti-spacecraft shell explosion I recorded in outer space. No, I just tapped my microphone. It's seriously that simple. I have a quick exercise that you can do the next time you're watching a movie or playing a game. When you hear something, try to think of what actually made that sound. I remember seeing an example like this a long time ago, and I can't remember where. You see a sailboat from the view of a drone, and you hear the water splashing by on the boat. Wait, what? Think about that for just a moment. You heard water splashing on a boat amidst the sea from a bird's eye view. I can tell you right now, that was probably a Foley artist playing in the sink. So why so much emphasis on sound? Why? It's just a sound. 
I can make a game and I'll just put sound on the back burner, right? Well, when I play a game with the sound off, I like to compare it to a flat soda. It's still a game. It's still good and sweet. It just doesn't have that fit. Believe it or not, of the five main senses that we have, hearing is the most sensitive. It is so important that according to neuroscience, even though we rely on sight, we can process sound five times faster than we can process visuals. That could be why a lot of people rank the importance of sound and music much higher than things like visuals. So, unless you're making Library Simulator 2077, sound is a big deal. Try to think outside the box. Just as you look for places to put polish in a game, actively look for places to put sound. Most people know that you can polish up your menu by adding button clicks and other menu sounds, but you can go way deeper. My current project is an RPG game mixed with a sandbox game, and one of the things that you can do in it is destroy castles. I have the obvious sounds like impacts and debris, etc., but paying closer attention to detail, when a chunk of the castle breaks away, it makes a deep wind sound that gets louder the faster it moves. Giving this much depth makes everything feel so much more immersive and blends everything together. A really good example of looking for places to put sound is in the game Steep. In first-person replays of the character going down the snowy slope, the camera makes this rattling sound of a jittering onboard camera. They didn't have to do that, but in the end, it improves the overall experience. And improving the overall experience is the job of any sound in any game. A quick review. Today we talked about cleaning up an audio clip by removing noise and adjusting levels. We also made our own sound effect by layering and morphing our audio. We got our first glimpse at digital audio workstations, and we also talked about making our music portray the correct feeling. Then we went ahead and made our own track after we got inspired from some references. We also talked about looping the track with tips and tricks like using flair to resolve back to the beginning. We talked about the importance of practice and trying to learn from references and the real world. Finally, we looked at the importance of sound on a human level and how much it can do for you and your players. If you're interested, I would like to list the programs I used over the course of the episode. Audacity is a free open source audio editor. Ableton Live is my DAW of choice. I used a couple plugins today. MT Power Drum Kit is a free MIDI drum kit with hundreds of pre-made grooves, two of which I use to explain the time signatures. All my orchestral instruments come from Sign Player by Orchestral Tools. And finally, some miscellaneous parts were done with Analog Lab by Arturia and Era 2 by Best Service. I want to give a big thanks to everyone who got through my whole discourse. I would also like to thank Zaccavelli for kindly giving me the opportunity to talk about sound and music. I know I probably missed a couple things that I probably could have talked about, or maybe I didn't go into enough detail about, and I apologize in advance, but there is only so much time in a day. Earlier, you may have heard me talk about my current project. It's entitled Medieval RPG Sandbox. I know, right? It's a very creative name. Cut me some slack. It's a working title.
I document my progress every two weeks on YouTube with the channel by the same name, Medieval RPG Sandbox. So, if you haven't gotten enough of my nasally voice, you can always catch me over there. I am a member of the GDFG Community Discord, so you can always get a hold of me by my handle, Mugamumu. I would really recommend joining the GDFG Discord. If you haven't already, it's a great place to be, and I would recommend it highly. Good luck on your game dev journey, and always remember the importance of sound. And there you have it, a masterfully done segment on sound for video games done by Mugamumu. I had told him when I heard it the first time um, and kind of was going back and forth with the guests like I usually do, I told him that's a better sound episode than the actual Game Dev Field Guide sound episode. So yeah, big thanks to Mugamumu for putting all that together. I hope you can tell, and I think it's pretty apparent, just how much work he put into that segment. And like I said, it is masterfully done. I hope you got um, some good pointers out of that. So I would ask you to repay him for all the work that he's done for our community, putting together this great episode, and go over to his YouTube channel, Medieval RPG Sandbox. On the YouTube channel, there's lots of devlogs of, I assume, Mugamumu's current project, a medieval RPG. I've been kind of following along with them. He usually updates us in the Discord. And I'm a sucker for sandbox games, and um, I really like the medieval setting. So yeah, personally, I'm invested in watching the project come along. It's been a really fun time. If you want to see the devlogs for yourself, I'll leave a link to the YouTube in the show notes that way you can just scroll down easily and go click on it and i would encourage you while you're there to subscribe to the channel just to help support mugamumu for everything he's done for us as for me don't forget i'll be streaming all of my let em dare competition um, all weekend long april 1st through the 4th if you just go to twitch.tv slash underscore um, during the normal day hours, I'm sure I will be live working on it. So yeah, with that, I think I'm going to end the episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Game Dev Field Guide.